The question is, are you ready? This is The Drive with Josh Graham. On Sports Hub Triad. And pencils down. It's 3 o'clock, and that means the NBA trade deadline has passed. The James Harden, Ben Simmons trade getting most of the attention today, as you would expect. But slipped right under the wire, Mitch Kupchak swung a deal. Charlotte trades former Deke Ishmith and former Blue Devil Vernon Carey in exchange for former Louisville Cardinal Montrez Harrell. The Wizards quite active today. How about that for ACC flavor? Trez is also a North Carolina guy that hails from Eastern North Carolina. I think he's from Goldsboro. Speaking of ACC flavor, I've been pretty careful about overstating the happenings of Wake Forest basketball this year. But after being in the building in Raleigh for that 16-0 run and that dismantling of NC State, I think I'm there now. After a decade-plus hiatus of being relevant, Wake Forest basketball is back. They hit another milestone last night in a season full of them. Last Saturday, winning at FSU for the first time since 2008, winning at Georgia Tech for the first time since 2004, winning at Virginia for the first time since 2010. It's been that kind of year. Last night, they won their 20th game of the season, and they still have six games to go. The last time Wake Forest won 20 games in a season, you got to go back to 2010. It's been a dozen years. Wake Forest also won their fifth ACC road game last night. That's one less ACC road win than Danny Manning had his entire six-year tenure as the head coach of the Deeks. That's amazing. The last time a Deacon team had five ACC road wins in a single year, Skip Prosser was on the sideline, and Chris Paul was running the point in 2005. So Forbes last night, he took a moment to recognize the moment, but says they're far from done yet. A lot of games left, uh, six games to play. Um, but I'm happy for our fans, and happy for our community, and happy for our institution. You know, uh, respect is a hard thing to, to get back once you lose it. And I think we're starting to gain the respect that Wake Forest once had in this league and where we belong. And uh, we're surely not uh, not satisfied. In my opinion, 20 wins is a good season. 25 is great, and 30 is special. And so we just keep playing. 20 is good. 25 is great, 30 is special. This is a good season. The next three games will determine whether or not it can be a great season. Here's what they got, their next three games. Saturday at the Joel, 3 o'clock, it's the Miami Hurricanes, who the Deeks lost to to kick off 2022. January 1st on New Year's Day, they lost at Miami. Then they got Duke, who they were beaten by double figures by. At the Joel, when Kay was out and John Shire filled in for coach in Winston-Salem. That was a few weeks back. And then they have Notre Dame next Saturday. Those three teams, along with Wake, make up the top four teams currently in the ACC standings. These next three games, it'll show us what Wake Forest is. If Wake is going to be a great team... They win at least two out of three of those games. And I think they can win three. I think they can win all three of those games. I don't think that's out of the question. But there is something else that's going around watching what Wake's doing. There are still folks looking at it saying, well, it's only because the ACC's having a down year that Wake Forest is the second or third best team in the league. Oh, this is a blip on the radar. It's one year. You look at all these transfers they got. This isn't sustainable. This is just a one-off. I don't think that's the case. This is not a fluke what we're looking at. I said this the day after Steve Forbes was hired in Winston-Salem. This is close to 22 months ago. I remember saying, because Wake Forest was the only school to make a coaching change in high major basketball two years ago in April of 2020, when normally there will be eight, nine, ten job openings in high major ball, they had their pick of the litter. It took some courage 
amid a lot of economic uncertainty within athletic departments everywhere for John Curry to pull that trigger, to pay a buyout to Danny Manning and to try and find a new coach. But the risk that they took allowed them to get a basketball coach that under normal circumstances, they, they wouldn't get. They'd never get Steve Forbes under normal circumstances. But since they took that chance, they got a coach that won 75% of his games at East Tennessee State over five years in a good league and has experience recruiting outstanding players in the SEC alongside Bruce Pearl at Tennessee and Billy Gillespie before that, who has a really rich background. But when you look at the players on this year's team, they're losing Alondis after this year. They're losing Hadim C. But those are the only two guys we know they're losing. Due to the extra year guys are granted because of COVID, LaRavia can come back. Even Dallas Walton can come back. Musius, Davian, Monsanto. That'd be a pretty good starting five. If Steve doesn't add anybody in the portal, and doesn't add a top recruit, even though he's involved in a lot of recruiting circles, really good players for next year. That's a pretty good starting five if you got Monsanto and Davian in the backcourt, alongside LaRavia playing the three. Musius is the small four, or the the stretch four, and Dallas Walton seven feet standing there at center. That's a pretty good lineup. So this isn't a fluke. Wake Forest basketball is back. On Twitter. At WSJS Sports. 336-777-1600 if you want in. Robert's taking your calls. I see he's on the phone right now with folks. Wanting to talk about the Demon Deacons. Nick Dioli in the house as well. BDOT going to make his return in studio for the first time in exactly one year. One year ago today, BDOT made his last in-studio appearance on this show. He'll be back in about 20 minutes or so. Let's go to Ed and Winston-Salem who wants in on the Demon Deacons. Ed, I, you know, you usually call him wanting to talk about the Tar Heels. No, 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 no. We got plenty of Tar Heel talk with BDOT coming up later this hour. We're sticking it with the Deeks right now. We're sticking to the Deeks. What do you got for me? Uh, yeah, uh, you stole a little bit of my thunder there. Yeah, these next three uh, games, I, I, I totally agree with you. I think they can take definitely two out of three and maybe three. And then those last three games, they should definitely be favored to uh, – windows and i think they're really in a good position i think they could finish anywhere between one and third right now in my opinion and the tar hills are going to have to uh i think win six or seven out of their last games in order to get a good seating because the situation is with miami Notre dame and wake you know if those teams don't stumble and everybody says basically the same then they're on the outside looking in because all those teams have beaten North Carolina. So it should be an interesting ACC tournament. And one more quick thing, Wims is definitely player of the year. He makes everybody better on that team. And I think he could be the key to beating Duke at Duke. If you've got a good point guard, can penetrate and set the other guys up on the outside and they have some – Outstanding three-point shooters. They've really got a good shot at uh, winning there. Yeah. And I think Steve Forbes deserves coach of the year because weren't they picked like 11th or 12th? 13th. 13th, okay. Yeah, to me, he's the uh, coach of the year, and that's all that's, I got. I love that. I appreciate the call, Ed. I'll yeah, let the Tar Heel you. comments slide there just because I'm in a good mood today. Even though we said we we're going to stick with the Deeks here, that Duke game is going to be interesting. I can't wait for that next Tuesday. Let's go to Mark in Greensboro. One more on Forbes. Mark, what do you have on what Steve's done in a very short period of time in Winston-Salem? Uh, what's up, Josh? Yes, Steve Forbes deserves not only recognition for ACC Coach of the Year, he is 100% the National Coach of the Year. Getting he we used to joke around when we used to cover the SoCon about Steve Forbes. Steve Forbes was like a mini John Calipari. He would bring in everybody from everywhere around the country for his JUCO uh, ties and everything, and he would get them all ready to play and be at a championship level this quick. But before he was even hired, I had conversations with you on Twitter in direct messages telling you that this guy was the right guy for this because they needed someone different than Danny Manning. Didn't want to go to, like, Pac-Kells, even West, like West Miller, 
great, great possibility, but I just feel See, like... And to hold you up real quick, I'll let you finish in a sec. You yeah. did, you talked, you were the one that helped talk me into it because I wasn't into it when we were just looking yep. at candidates. But then after they hired the guy and I started diving into his background, like who he worked for and his winning percentage in the SoCon, that's when I really bought in. But originally, it, I, I didn't see it at first, given a lot of the names that were being thrown out. But you were absolutely right. No, I appreciate that. And I, honestly, it wasn't even about being right. He's just a good person. And, you know, he fell on the sword a little bit for Bruce Pearl back in the day. And he's, he's well documented on that. He's an open book. He's the type of person that you can not only win quickly with, but they will be able to build over the years because of that. And listen, name me another coach that was picked 13th in a league, whether ACC is down or not, and it is, let's just be honest. There's no way anyone had them even close to being in the top three. Not only, not only that, but the opportunity to win it and maybe get, what, a five or a six seed if they were to win 25 games this year? I mean, it, the, the job he's done cannot be overstated. He's a phenomenal person, but he's an incredible coach, too. No doubt. Appreciate the call, Mark. The only example I can think of was last year when Mike Young, his teams were picked, I think, 12th or 13th in the ACC, and they ended up being a double-by team in the NCAA or in the ACC tournament. Looks like Wake's going to be that as well. I don't know if Forbes is going to win Coach of the Year just because Mike Krzyzewski hasn't won since 2000. It's the farewell tour, and looks like they're going to finish number one in the ACC this year. He's got a lot of knowledge about things I'm curious about, and he's cool. You're on The Drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. For the first time in a year, to to the day. Talk to him, Josh. BDOT is back in studio with us. He's going to be hanging out for the next hour. I am so happy you're in here. Hey, Josh, this is my first time talking on a radio show in like two weeks. It kind of feels a little strange. Usually when I come in here, I've already done my show in the morning. But now I'm a year, I mean, a week and a half removed, and it feels kind of weird. Yeah, I think you might be a bit rusty. You think so? Uh-huh. Nah, I don't get rusty, baby. I'm heavily lubed, baby. Huh? Heavily lubed, Let's baby. get to, hmm? let's kick this thing off the way we're supposed to, by playing grammar school. Oh. Josh Graham has his own way of speaking. In high school, he didn't play sports, but he did wear a helmet. And just when you think it can't get any worse. My English teacher wanted to flunk me in junior high. Damn. Thanks a lot. Next semester, I'll be 35. Josh is going to attempt to learn B-Dot's vernacular. I'm from the old school. I got a street knowledge. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? It's time for B-Dot's Grammar School. And since it's a new era of B-Dot being in studio with us... We have new rules to grammar school. Instead of five words, it's three. Three. And also, we want BDOT. I feel like learning should go both ways. Agree. I'm not the only one to learn things. So I even have a question that I have for BDOT as well. You have a That's question? not of the urban vernacular because I feel like you've mastered that department. Well, what vernacular is yours? The caucastic department. Uh, man, I'll tell you, man. Like trying Anytime, to figure out who listen. Luke Bryan is or Avril Lavigne. Do you know who George Strait is? Can what? you name a George Strait song? I don't know any. No. I feel like that's not necessarily teaching him things. That's just asking him country music artists. And I don't know any of those country music artists. That's not fair. He's just trying to paint me. <laughs> like in he a doesn't come corner. in here and be like, hey, do you, do you know who sings this? You're right. That's not productive. So I won't ask him who this person is. This is a learning exercise. Yes. So, so do you me- want to start with your words or with uh, what I got for you? I'm going to start with my words. Okay. And then you can hit me at the end. What if are this- we going to do lifeline situation? Ooh. I get one lifeline for three words, whether it's Robert or the audience. Yeah, we can't give him two. No, nah, not for three words. Yeah, you only get one lifeline. and You choose if it's going to be if it's going to be Rob. Who's in there with Rob again? That's Nick. I got Nick and uh, we got Luis off mic. Hmm. Maybe one of them should have to help you instead of Robbie. Why? I don't know. Maybe Robbie can give a hint. We'll play it by ear. Let's okay. have some fun. It's our first day back. Listen, if this is your first time hearing grammar school, clearly it sounds like it's our first time playing. 
but we do have rules. I got three words for Josh, words or phrases that are of the urban vernacular, and we'll see how many Josh gets correct. He has to get two for a satisfactory grade. Up first, Joshua Graham. What does it mean to catch them with their pants down? Nick knows. Catch them with their pants down. And it's really not their pants. It's they pants, like D-E-Y. If you're going to write it right, D-E-Y. Catch them with their pants down. Day pants down? Yeah, yeah catch them with their pants down. Why spell D-E-Y instead of D-A-Y? Because day is day and D-E-Y is day. You see? Like who day? Yeah. Like this. No Bengals. That's, yeah. Nevertheless. Catch them with day. Okay. Say it. Catch them with day pants down. Yeah, I don't like the way you're enunciating day now, but yeah. 336-777-1600. Already, Josh. This is simple. Okay, what does it mean to catch someone with their pants down, uh, Josh? Uh, Are you going to use a lifeline on your first one? No, I got to guess. Okay. It means that you're catching someone sleeping, that they're asleep. You catch them with their pants down, you're catching them while they're sleeping. Nick sh- shaking his head, so I know I'm wrong. Now, let me ask you, I'm going to go to my, I'm going to go to the room here as a collective because it's usually catching someone slipping. Am I correct? Like the baby was doing <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> you know he's taking it from me. Don't be taking it from me. <laughs> Nevertheless, Robbie, are we going to give him credit for catching someone sleeping, even though it is technically catching someone slipping? That's pretty good. It's pretty close, but that's your call. He's, yeah, it, it is my call. So look, here, <laughs> here's how I'm looking at it. Catching somebody like he said it so direct. Yeah. Like you're catching somebody sleeping. Yeah. But I mean, technically, if you caught somebody sleeping, they might be slipping, right. especially if you had heat coming. So I would let Josh get a point on this. You're one. gonna give him a point for that. I Let's would go. give him a point. Yes. You know wow. what? That's pushing P. <laughs> Very good. And give him another ding. You don't get a point, but you do get a ding for using last week's word correctly. Good, good job, yeah, Josh. I'm that was really nice of you, Robert. Thank and you. for those that are wondering, yes, Josh is in Duke Blue today supporting his Duke Blue Devils <laughs> as they play Clemson. Let's be clear. Moving right along, Josh. What's... You can't just go out there and say that stuff. <laughs> People actually believe that yeah, when yeah, you yeah. say it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to feel that fire, baby. What's Shilk? Shook. Shilk. Shilk. S-H-I-L-K. Dangerous. Shilk. Yeah. Shilk. Is it a noun or a verb? Hmm. It is a noun. Okay. So, it is you a noun. call someone a shilk. Or, hmm. Somebody, somebody's not shilk. King. <laughs> right? I like the way you're working it out. Keep working it out. <laughs> Seems like everybody in that back room. I like the room. Knows what it is. I like the room effect we have now with the production studio. Right. Good job, Robbie. Everybody's we're going to take this live on the road. Uh-huh. Everybody sure. else knows what it is. I don't. I'm, now I'm going to be transparent with you. This was one that Zay told me to hit you with. And, oh, I, and he dang. had to hit me too. And I was like, is that what that's called? I was wondering where you got it. And yeah. I was like, who told me not this word, hey, man? 100%. <laughs> I was like, that makes complete sense. But I've never heard it. Bet. I'm going to smack Josh's face off with this one. 336-777-1600. <laughs> <laughs> If somebody can help me, that would be great. <laughs> he wants help so bad because he don't want to come to me. <laughs> I know I don't. Even though you just gave me a nice assist. Did. I know, right? right? I so now I gotta. That. I feel like I gotta keep it level. So yeah. like I gave you the assist. I, I, I feel like you might trick me. I feel like you might catch him with day pants down. <laughs> yeah, catch you with your pants down. Yeah, I hate giving him <laughs> de- bells. <laughs> but you got. He's done a good job today in his Duke blue polo shirt. <laughs> I mean, it's blue. I'm gonna take a picture of it. It's clearly Duke blue. <laughs> it's, yeah, like right. So if you had I'm not at a. It. I'm not at a Duke game. You're just saying I can't wear this color blue ever. I think that's even worse. You're repping the colors like not at the game. Exactly. Like you're repping them in your real life. If I wore it at the game, it'd be a lot worse. What are you talking about? Like I'm repping Coastal Carolina. I got the teal on. That's See? okay. What's up, UNC Wilmington? Shout out. <laughs> Shilk. <laughs> yeah, Shilk. S H I L K. I'm going to Nick. That's what I'm going to. Mm, Nick, you have been chosen. 
Josh Graham needs your assistance. Robert's telling him something. I don't know <laughs> yeah, what. Yeah, with the mic off. I great. said mistake. Yeah, you should have came to me. <laughs> you should have came to me on the last one because I don't know this one. Oh. He's it's not get- the back room and hole. Like, no, you don't get all three of us. Why not? <laughs> Because you guys not- all laugh at me in unison. <laughs> you can't help me in unison. You no. picked the one person you wanted assistance from. So now he has to at least give a guess to what he thinks Shilk could be. Okay, it's a noun, Nick. You and I can help work this thing together. Yeah, f- push through, sis. <laughs> um, My first thought was something involving milk, but that's not going to be it. Like it's kind of like a bad type of milk or something. But I don't think that's what it is. Shilk. Any like ideas? He shilked or something like that? What's that? Like, wait, like use it in a sentence. Like he shilked or something? No, no, no. That's, like, it's dang, that shilk was good, boy. Right. Uh, yeah, you're useless. <laughs> Thank you, Dick. <laughs> Thank you, Dick. <laughs> I love you, bro. Would you like the answer? Uh, I'm going to go with bad milk. Mm. Gosh, you're so close. Am I right? Yeah, on part of it. It's the sugary milk that's left in the bottom of the bowl of cereal when you're done. It's the shilk. He said, You worked all the way through it and talked yourself out of it, Josh. I was rooting for you. You were doing so great. No, but the first two letters seemed like the first two letters of a word I can't say on the radio. But they sound like. I thought it was that word. They sound like sugar. With milk. Sugar. Which is the bad type of milk. shilk. Dang it. See, my brain was in the right place, though. All right, last one. Last one for you right here. Someone actually tweeted in sugar milk. (laughs) See, stop trying to help. Stop with your tweets. Why didn't you call, Phil? (laughs) No helping on that, Phil. Yeah. Nevertheless, here we go. Last word. Dragon. D-R-A-G-O-N. Dragon. And it is an adjective. Okay. It can't be... FCC purposes. It can't be like the joke that everybody no. makes, right? No. No. I don't even know what that joke is, so no. Well, then I'll take note of that off air. <laughs> Thanks. Dragon. Do you think I would get us fired on my first day back by <laughs> violating FCC guidelines? I, man, I don't know. I there really was don't. one time you did tweet in and Josh read that whole thing <laughs> verbatim. And <laughs> I was I was worried, boy. I was like, we ain't gonna have a job tomorrow. <laughs> I don't know what dragon is. Come on, Josh. It's an adjective? It's an adjective. So if I was going to describe somebody as being dragon or having dragon, yes. what Okay. Wh- what could that be? I'm going to say this person's upset. Like that means you're upset. This guy has like you're like they're about to shoot fire out of their mouth. They're mm. so upset. They're dragon. Gosh, you're so close. They are shooting fire out of their mouth, but it's because their breath stinks. They have that dragon, oh. that fire halitosis. If somebody's breath stinks, <laughs> my God, they've got that dragon, Josh. So I failed grammar school this week. Did you? We caught uh, you with your pants down. All right, now you're up. Oh, yeah, let's go. Here we go. Here's your question. Hmm, my question. Spell Caucasian. Spell Caucasian? C-A-U-C-A-S-I-A-N. That is correct. Of course that's correct. I was third grade spelling bee champ, Josh. Don't you ever get it twisted. Got Thank you one to nothing done. Let's <laughs> What's go. Up? That, level, that level of confidence you had there. <laughs> What's up? It's unsettling. That was that Tar Heel confidence, baby. I'm uh-huh. about to run the ACC and win this thing. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't even say that with a straight face. Shut up! <laughs> Getting back to college hoops. Man, I'll tell you what. Wake Forest. Yeah, man. Yeah. Well, I can't <laughs> they caught they caught him with their pants down last night. <laughs> like Alondis Williams, man, he's the basketball equivalent to Shilk. That's what he is. Yeah. That pass at the end, Shilk. That's what that is. Sweet And you know, he drives to the basket, gets some distance from people as if they have dra- unless they're uh, like they're dragon. Like they got that dragon. Like they got that dragon. Gosh, <laughs> yeah. It's not good. <laughs> how many Caucasians are on Wake Forest's team? A lot. That's, a how, I use, that's how I use my word in a <laughs> sentence. <laughs> I'll give you a mail, Thank too. He's really, really cocky. Hold on and go with the ride. This is The Drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports.
this is our last shot. Best bet for the final time this football season ahead of Super Bowl 56. We will not play this until September. We're two games under 500. Two bets under 500. So we need to have a strong week this week to get over 500, Robert. We've never had a losing season before. In order to continue to say that, I'm going to have to go 7-4 and four with these bets because I got 11 here. So let's not waste any more time. It's time for best bets. Your attention, please. Please do not turn off your radio. Why? Let's start with the actual game result. I'm going to take the Bengals plus four and a half. Over the last 10 days, I've gone from thinking Rams blow out to Rams win. Probably just going to cover barely to I don't know if they're going to cover anymore to now. I think the Bengals might win this game. I don't think I'm completely there yet. I'll make an official pick tomorrow. I've been going back and forth really the last 48 hours quite a bit. But consider this. The last six underdogs of more than three points in the Super Bowl have all covered. Five of those six have won outright. I'm going to take Cincinnati plus the four in the hook. Put some money on it. The over-under, 49 and a half. The last three Super Bowls have gone under, so I think this is going to go under two. I think, Robert, this is probably going to be 23-20, like 24-20 type deal. I don't think this is going to be a high-scoring game, so I think it stays under, especially with both these teams struggling to run the football. That's my second pick, Bengals-Rams under 49 and a half. Put some money on it. Now let's get to some of the props. The national anthem is being performed by Mickey Guyton. I don't know who Mickey Guyton is, but I do know, based on a YouTube search, she has sang the national anthem before in a minute and 27 seconds. I saw another one where she sang it in 67 seconds. The over-under is 98 seconds, so a minute and 38 seconds. I'm going to go under on that. Last year was the first time in the last six Super Bowls that the anthem went over with Eric Church and company. They had a couple people singing it, so we should have saw that coming. Under on the anthem at 138. Put some money on it. This one, I think you're going to push back on initially, but let me explain my thinking. The opening kickoff will be returned. It won't be a touchback. It'll be returned. Especially if the Rams are kicking because Jason Gay, the kicker, has he's the guy who ended up kicking one short on a 47-yarder in the NFC Championship game. I don't remember the last time I saw a kicker in the NFL miss a 47-yarder short. 18 of the last 20 opening kickoffs in the Super Bowl have been returned. You've got some adrenaline going. You wanna you don't wanna start the Super Bowl on a touchback. All the light. The, the flash bulbs are going off. The opening kick going to be returned. That's a 90% rate. So I'm going to go with it being 19 of 21. Put some money on it. Receivers. Give me all those props. Robert, the most popular prop for Super Bowl 56 is Cooper Cup's over on receiving yards. It started at 100. It has floated to 103. It's gotten to 106, and in some books, it's at 108 now as people continue to pound that. So I'm going to go in a different direction. Give me Odell Beckham's over. 63 and a half. That's more than 40 yards fewer than Cooper Cup's total, especially if Tyler Higby does not play in this game. Odell goes over 63 and a half. I feel pretty good about that prop. That's the first of my two receiving props. Put some money on it. The other, Van Jefferson, largest reception, longest reception, I should say, over 17 and a half. I don't even know if LA is going to try to run the ball to win this game. I think they're just going to throw it all over the yard, and that's what they're going to need to do. They have the quarterback to do that now. Again, without Higby, 
targets are going to go elsewhere. A lot of attention is going to be paid Cooper Cup's way. Van Jefferson will catch a pass and have a reception that's longer than 17 and a half yards. Put some money on it. Last Rams bet. Aaron Donald over four and a half tackles. He's been incredible over his last six games. He's facing perhaps the worst offensive line that he's gone up against. I think he gets over that total. He's been pretty outspoken in a way that he hasn't been his entire career, talking about what a Super Bowl would mean to him. I think he said he's done everything in his career that he can possibly do other than win the Super Bowl. We saw him on the sideline before that turnover at the end of the NFC Championship game. He's going to be fired up, and he's going to go over four and a half tackles. Put some money on it. A Bengals bet, Evan McPherson. That dude hits everything. Tremendous leg. Like When they get over the 40, they're going to line up for kicks. And since I think this is going to be a lower-scoring game, there's going to be some field goal opportunities. So McPherson over one-and-a-half field goals, a bet I'm looking at. Put some money on it. Halftime bet. Snoop Dogg, first to perform. I'm banking on it being Snoop and Dr. Dre based on Robert's definition of who's the first person to sing. And Snoop is the first one on next episode. Snoop's the first one on nothing but ain't nothing but a G thing. If you do still DRE, does it count if Snoop Dogg's the one saying DRE and Snoop D-O-double-G, right? If he's the first one to speak, he's the first one to perform. I like those chances, and there's also a chance it might not be a Dr. Dre-Snoop Dogg collaboration is the first song. It might just be a Snoop Dogg one of his own songs. Give me Snoop first to perform. Put some money on This is the biggest lock of all of them, though. Over eight and a half halftime songs. Usually, there are nine or ten in a hip-hop set. I think this is like the first full-out hip-hop halftime show. They're going to have a ton of songs. I wouldn't be surprised if they got the 13 or 14 songs. So over eight and a half, that's as easy as it gets. That is a win for sure. Put some money on it. And the last one, Orange Gatorade. It's been orange five of the last ten years, and last year it was blue. We've got an orange team playing in the game. Gold is a featured color, too, so closest thing they have to gold in terms of, I guess they have the yellow Gatorade they could use. I don't remember them ever using that. But here's something I didn't know, Robert, until doing some research on it. Gatorade picks the color that they want, and they try to randomize it each year. And since they had blue last year, I think they're going to go with orange this year. Put some money on it. That's the last of my bets. Two under 500. I'm going again. The Bengals plus four and a half at the game. The Bengals Rams going under on the game altogether. 49 and a half under on the anthem. The opening kickoff being returned. Van Jefferson catching a pass longer than 17 yards. Odell over 63 yards. Aaron Donald over four tackles. Evan McPherson over one and a half field goals. Snoop Dogg first to perform over eight halftime songs. And Orange Gatorade. Which of those do you like the most? Uh, I was with you on the Cooper Cup uh, going with other receivers. But when I looked at his stuff, uh, so out of the 21 games that the Rams have played this year, Cooper Cup has not had over 100 yards in only seven of those games. Yeah. Uh, and the last time that he played the Bengals was in 2019, and he had seven catches for 220 yards oh. and one touchdown. <laughs> I know we like to look at history as an indicator, but I also acknowledge that these are two completely different teams. Uh, but also Jared Goff was the quarterback then. Yeah, that's a good point. Bowman writes, I can't believe you haven't talked about all the triad North Carolina players who were on the Bengals. What? We have. This is a three-hour show, though. You know uh, that's I mean? a good point. Well, this guy's so confident. Whoa, I haven't you talked about that. I mean, DJ Reader, shout out to Grimsley. S- see shout, if he out, shout out to High Point Central, Jermaine Pratt, played at State. If he would have said, where's all the Ram coverage? I would have been like, yeah, we have not that's talked about That's a good point. Robert's mad that we talk too much about the we, Bengals. Jesse we, Bates, all Wake, we've talked Zach about. Taylor Wake. Like, I, I could continue to, to – I could keep this going. B.J. Hill – Played at State. Ton of dudes. Ton of them. I guess he knows what he's doing. He can't argue with success, right? Right. You're on The Drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports.
to be very cynical sometimes. And when North Carolina has had its struggles this year, and then it coincided with Dawson Garcia leaving the team in very vague terms due to an illness in the family going back to Minnesota and missing games, I saw it already start to creep up. Well, this guy's not going to play for the Tar Heels again. Clearly, he's unhappy with Hubert Davis. The team has chemistry issues all the way down the line. But it was announced in the last five minutes, Garcia's going to miss the remainder of the season due to these medical concerns. And in the statement, if you read what Dawson Garcia wrote here, I don't think anybody with a heart can say that this is about anything more than him wanting to look out for his family. I'll read that statement to you right now because, again, this is breaking news that Dawson is not going to play for the Tar Heels, and this is a big, big blow for them heading down the stretch of the season. He said, quote, I cannot thank everybody enough for the unbelievable support that's automatically been given to me while I flew home to support my family. Not everyone will understand, but those who know our family, that those who know our family are very aware of the circumstances and the challenges we are facing. I thought he was just going to stop there and it was going to remain vague, but that's not what Dawson chose to do. He said, after the loss of very special family members this past year, I came close to losing my dad in December. And my grandma is currently in the ICU. With my dad recovering and my grandma fighting for her life right now, it's not even a question to where I need to be right now. My family is my world, and I will always be there for them. The past few months have quickly changed my perspective on life, and I have put this in God's hands and and trust his guidance. Times like this. Bring out the beauty in God's people, and I thank all the Tar Heel Nation, my coaches, and my teammates for the love and support. I thank them for lifting up us, uh, lifting us up with your powerful prayers. The university, this team, and the fans are special. Go Tar Heels. That's not a guy that I think's trying to avoid this basketball team. That sounded sincere. That sounded like somebody who's grieving right now going through a really difficult time. So that's obviously bigger than basketball. So let's acknowledge that real quickly while also saying it is a big loss for this team because we saw what North Carolina looked like when they match up with a team that's worth a darn, to use the Southern expression that my mom would always use. We've seen it. You you have one guy in the post that you feel pretty good in man-to-man defense. That's Armando Baycott. Then elsewhere, Armando. it's Brady Manick, who you trust offensively, but on the other end of the floor, he's tall, he's lanky, he's not as quick. He gets beat off the dribble by players like A.J. Griffin or Paulo Banquero. It's a problem. So North Carolina, they are dealing with a depth issue. You lose Anthony Harris for the season. He's unavailable. You hope you could get him back next year. You lose Dawson Garcia for the remainder of the season. Same deal. You hope to have that guy back, but I think we'd all kind of be understanding if he decided to enter the portal and play somewhere close to home. Who do you got? How many guys do you trust? We saw DeMarco Dunn and Dontre Styles get some minutes in this past game, and Styles even made a play in the first half, but how much do you trust those guys to continue elevating those minutes when you didn't give them those minutes early on in the year? How much do you trust Puff Johnson, who's getting more and more? That seems like the guy out of the three who's going to get more minutes as the season goes on. Minutes vacated by uh, Garcia here. So you have your starting five, but then off of the bench, it's Kerwin, it's Justin McCoy, and now it's Puff Johnson. Seems like that's going to be the eight-man rotation in close games moving forward for North Carolina. But that's a tough headline to see that – Garcia is not going to come back. And Jesse Edwards from Syracuse, he's going to be out the remainder of the season too with an injury. Tough day when it comes to injuries. Staying in the ACC. Who's more prepared for the NCAA tournament right now? Duke or Wake Forest? I'm not asking who the better team is because Duke's ranked in the top 10 for a reason. They are the more talented team. They have three lottery picks on their roster. Wake, I don't think, has any. 
they might not have a draft pick on their team, even though I think you got to give Williams and you got to give LaRavia a look. I think Duke's the better team with the higher upside. I think Duke's ceiling is they get to the Final Four and compete for a national championship. But I think that floor is scary, and they're young. And what we saw Monday was they weren't really prepared for the one-day prep. You play an emotional game, you have to flush it and get ready for the next one. Wake Forest, I trust more to have success in March than I trust Duke right now. Fortunately, they have time. They have about a month to get ready for that. But I think Wake Forest is more NCAA tournament ready than Duke. In the NCAA tournament, you have to play close games. We know that. Everybody's good. And the Deeks, they are off the charts in crunch time. Last night, I was at PNC Arena. It was 53-51 after the game was tied at 45 apiece. And Wake Forest goes on a 16-0 run to close the game. That's in the final five minutes. So that was not a single-digit win. But in single-digit wins, Wake Forest, 7-2 in them. 3-0 in games that go to overtime. Duke, meanwhile, single-digit margin games, only 4-4. Four and four. All four losses, they led in the final minutes of those games. The final minute of each of them. And they let them slip away. They struggled to close games. The Deeks, they have more NCAA tournament experience than Duke. When's the last time we ever said that? Wake Forest, more NCAA tournament experience than Duke. The only two guys on the Duke roster that have played in the NCAA tournament, Theo John, the transfer from Marquette, so he doesn't know what it's like to be Duke with a target on your back playing in the tournament. He played for Marquette in the 2018-19 season. And that same year was the Zion season. Joey Baker was a part of that class. Activated late in the year, got spot minutes in the tournament. In fact, he scored his first bucket with the Blue Devils in the tournament. So I don't know how much that counts as a role player. But those are the only two guys with that experience. Meanwhile, Wake Forest, they got Alondis Williams, Hadim C., Dallas Walton. They've all been to the tournament. Dallas Walton was in it last year. They have more experience in that setting than Duke does. And they passed the test that Duke failed earlier this week. So you had the quick turnaround after an emotional win. Wake Forest, they beat Carolina by 22. And fans stormed the floor, and they rolled the quad. Steve Forbes was a part of it. Players were a part of it. Yet two days later, Boston College comes in, and they beat them by 30. I get it's PC, but that game was over from Jump Street because the team was dialed in. Wake Forest has that mentality. They don't have as much talent as Duke does. So don't get me wrong here, but I do think they're more NCAA tournament ready than Duke is. We'll see if that changes over the next month. Keep that game circled. Duke-Wake Forest next Tuesday. Steve Wiseman will join us from Clemson ahead of Duke-Clemson tonight. It's an 8 o'clock tip at Little John Coliseum. Sam Mills, is he going to get into the Hall of Fame tonight? NFL honors. That is... Later on tonight, so between 9 and 10 o'clock, we'll learn what Sam Mills' fate is and his final year of eligibility as a modern-day candidate. I'll give you my opinion on what's going to happen with this year's class next on The Drive. I love butt stuff. I hate spiders. I stole a pen from the bank. I cried during a powder boy. Moving on. The Drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. We'll get a live report from Clemson when Steve Wiseman joins us in about five minutes. Duke uh, beat reporter from the News and Observers covered them from over a, for over a decade now. Could speak today. It's Thursday of Super Bowl week. So media day's been in the books. The Bengals been in LA since Tuesday. Roger Goodell had his state of the NFL presser yesterday. And tonight is the NFL Honors Show. Will Aaron Rodgers win the MVP? Yes. Some of the other awards, where are they going to be divvied out to? We'll figure that out. And between 9 and 10 o'clock tonight, we'll finally learn if Panthers legend Sam Mills gets into the Hall of Fame. It's his 20th and final year of eligibility as a modern-day candidate. I hope I'm wrong on this, but I don't see him getting in. I'm expecting Sam's going to get snubbed, and here's the reason why. Unlike a sport like baseball... Only five spots 
for modern day candidates, it is really hard to get in. And this year I see three locks, three locks to get in either or Tory Holt, Reggie Wayne, one of those two receivers will make the cut. It seems like Reggie Wayne is seen to be more favorable to get in because of his connection with Peyton Manning and all that. And some of his other teammates have gotten in Marvin Harrison, Edron James, then Tory Holt, the pride of Gibsonville and NC state. Tony Baselli has been a finalist for six consecutive years, only overlooked because they didn't want to put multiple linemen in the same class. So Alan Fanica got in over him. Steve Hutchinson got in over him. I think Baselli gets through and that's a lock. And as a first ballot guy, I think DeMarcus Ware is going to be the last of the locks. Those three guys are going to get in, but that leaves two spots. Who gets him? You would hope Sam Mills in his final year will get strong consideration, but everything I've been told in the sense I get is that Zach Thomas, who's been a finalist three straight years just like Sam, in the linebacker conversations being seen as a better player than Sam was. A lot of this, I think, has to do with the fact Sam played a long time ago. More time has passed since Sam's played than Zach Thomas, and Zach Thomas played for the Dolphins a noteworthy fan base with a lot of people following what they do more than the Carolina Panthers who were non-existent until Sam Mills was on the team in 1995. Maybe voters will think differently because it is Sam's last year and not Zach Thomas's. Darren Gant, Hall of Fame voter from Panthers.com, was on the show a couple days ago making the case for Sam. This is how that sounded. I believe Sam Mills belongs in the Hall of Fame. I, I think a guy who created something out of nothing in three places, the USFL didn't exist, the Carolina Panthers didn't exist, and the New Orleans Saints never had a winning record in 19 years before he showed up on the scene. And all of a sudden things got better in all those places. And, and Sam had a lot to do with that. Steve Wiseman going to join us in a minute from the News and Observer, getting set for Duke and Clemson, but... The last thing, the last spot that's available, if Zach Thomas is getting the fourth one, I don't think it's going to go to another linebacker. I could be wrong, but I look at some of these other candidates and Richard Seymour won three Super Bowls in the 90s or in the early 2000s. Richard Seymour was, has been a finalist for multiple years too. I would guess that he gets in. And if it's not him, I could see them letting Rondé Barber get that fifth spot. Looking at some of the other candidates, I saw someone making a case for Andre Johnson. Okay. There, there are a lot of wide receivers. Right? It was difficult for Andre Johnson to get in over Steve Smith as a first ballot guy into the finalist room. But when Torrey Holt's there and Reggie Wayne's there and they're waiting, Andre Johnson's not going to be a first ballot guy. The Devin Hester stuff's the one that fires me up. It better not be Devin Hester as a first ballot Hall of Famer. I'm not the guy who's going to say a punt returner should never get in. If you're the best at something, you should get into the Hall. I think Cam Newton's a Hall of Famer. Some people push back on me on that. I think when Cam has 30 more rushing touchdowns than the next closest quarterback on the career rushing list, I think we need to think about Cam a lot differently than we think about some of these other guys. He's the best rushing quarterback in NFL history. So I think he should get in. Steve Tasker. I'm in favor of Steve Tasker getting into the hall. I'm in favor of punters and kickers getting into the hall. But I don't think that many of these guys should get in his first ballot Hall of Famers. First ballot. That is for the Peyton Mannings and the Tom Brady's of the world. It should have been Terrell Owens. It was wrong that he wasn't a first ballot guy. He essentially wasn't first ballot because he wasn't nice to people. That shouldn't really factor into this. Devin Hester, who couldn't cut it as, corner, as a corner or a wide receiver, touches the ball maybe twice a game. He's going to be a Hall of Famer. And you're going to leave out Sam Mills. You're going to vote in Devin Hester over some of these other guys we're talking about. Either Tory 
or Reggie Wayne. That's that doesn't seem right to me. So I don't want this to be out to be Josh is anti Devin Hester. I, I followed his entire career. He ran back a kick in the Super Bowl. No one's ever done that on the opening kick. He had a kickoff. I remember they had college game day in Raleigh. This was 2003. And Lee Corso put on the NC State Wolfpack mascot head. And they're like, oh, Phillip Rivers and company. They're going to beat the Miami Hurricanes. And Devin Hester returned the opening kickback. <laughs> and, and suddenly, that game was as good as over. So I don't see Sam getting in. If it was me guessing, I think it's Ware. I think it's Reggie Wayne, Baselli, Zach Thomas, and, and Richard Seymour based on how many years they've been finalists, where things are trending there. I, I would love to be wrong. I would love to. But um, I'm not optimistic that Sam's going to get in in his last year. Let's transition things to college hoops. Steve Wiseman's with us now. Where, and he does pretty much a little bit of everything, has a Believe Blue Devils podcast that he's going to have Mike Elko on on the next one, which is exciting. You do pods with Sheldon Williams as well. Earlier this week, we caught up with Mike Elko talking about his times in Winston-Salem and such. Steve, you're in Clemson getting set for Duke and the Tigers tonight. 8 o'clock tip on the ACC network. We'll be watching from home. Is Death Star Duke going to be taking the floor tonight, you think? You know, that's usually the case after they lose a the game, right? It's very unusual, last season excluded, right, that Duke would lose two games in a row. So, But this is a road game. Um, you know, Clemson uh, played Carolina a really tough Tuesday night, so they're going to be a little worn out maybe. But we'll see. Uh, I would expect, you know, the players and everybody, you were there Monday night, promised changes and stuff after, you know, another unsightly loss uh, to add to their schedule. So we'll see. Another thing, here's one thing that frustrates me about the way people talk about basketball. A couple weeks ago, Clemson played a close game with Duke. We were there for it, really close. Paolo Boncaro needed a bucket late in order to seal that win for Duke. I hear folks today saying, well, Josh, oh, the Blue Devils played a close game with Duke. That means this game being at Clemson, we're expecting the same deal. I think it actually hurts Clemson, the fact that they played that well in that spot because, well, now – Brad Brownell, he runs these great sets. He's been running them since he's at UNCW. That's He's kind of underrated for what he does offensively. Well, Coach K, John Shire, and Duke have now all seen those sets. Like, there's one thing to practice them. It's another thing to have seen them. I don't think it's going to help them as much tonight, don't you? I agree. And it's also another thing that the players have been in a game with Clemson, and they know, okay, their record's not very good, but dang it, they really, you know, they, they stuck it to us. They almost beat us on our own court, right? That's what they'll say. And to me, that means as much as not more than what you're talking about there, too. Not to take away from the coaching, but, you know, this team has a lot of ability, and they seem to have a little bit of an on-off switch at times that I've noticed over the year. And they'll play really good for a stretch and then kind of relax a little bit. So, anyway, um, I think that they won't take Clemson lightly, for sure. Steve Wiseman with us here, Duke beat reporter from the News and Observer, the Believe Duke podcast you can find wherever you find your pods. What's been the most vicious road environment you've seen this year in Coach K's final season? Is it Chapel Hill? Yeah, I think so. I mean, just from the, the atmosphere and the fans and everything. Um, yeah, even though Duke you know, handled that with, with ease. Uh, you know, I would say Florida State was hot up there, which is – kind of surprising but whenever Duke goes there they always have a big you know big raucous crowd and, and uh that was that was pretty cool Ohio State was under, was surprisingly good I didn't know what to expect from up there in November you know we're on football season having just ended and everything regular season anyway they just come off that loss to Michigan so they were kind of smart and I guess they had some, some frustration to get out and they did they got it out that night on the Blue Devils but I think Carolina for, is number one on that list right now what's your biggest concern for Duke heading into the middle of February and starting to approach the month of March? Yeah, I mean, they still, um, the way they lost the, the Virginia game and the Miami game and the Florida State game are somewhat similar. And even the Ohio State game going back to November where they had leads late and they let them get away. And I know they, they finished off the win with Clemson, you mentioned earlier, uh, Gonzaga.
Gonzaga was a three-point game, although Duke was way up in that game in the first half. So um, they, they have finished off some, but they have not been consistent with that. So I want to see what Coach K said the other night. Paulo Benchero needs to take more shots. He can't have one shot in the half, especially the second half of the game. They end up losing by one point. So somebody has to be the alpha male in these late situations. And if it's not going to be Paulo, somebody else. But I think Paulo Benchero is the most talented guy on the team, so he would seem to be the guy they need to have taking those shots. Is there a common thread between these four losses? In other words, is there a blueprint that you're noticing teams are putting together to play Duke? I mean, you know, it helps that A.J. Griffin had, you know, four shooting nights, right? I mean, I think he's the X factor on this team. When, when he scores over 20, I don't know who can beat him, to be honest with you, because normally that means everybody else will do a little bit, and, and that'll be enough. I mean, we saw what he did at Carolina and, he, you know, at Wake Forest when they won that game over there. Those are a couple of his biggest games. But, uh, you know, the turnover thing has been a little bit of an issue. They had 15 the other night uh, against Virginia. And so uh, uh, they had 15 against Florida State. They had 17 against Miami. So I think, you know, that taking care of the ball. And, of course, Vancaro had a turnover late that, that gave Virginia a chance to win it. So I think taking care of the ball in those late situations is one thing I've noticed, too. He's on Twitter at Steve Wiseman NC. Read his stuff, newsobserver.com, and in the pages of The Observer. He's at Clemson getting set for Duke Clemson at 8 o'clock tonight. You let me know if what I'm about to say sounds insane to you or if you tr- if this tracks for you. But I watched Wake Forest last night, been following them quite a bit. Duke is more talented than Wake Forest is. They are a better team, and they have a higher ceiling of where they can go. But I think Wake Forest, it's possible, and I buy this, probably more ready to play in the NCAA tournament than Duke because you know that NCAA tournament games are going to be close. Duke this year in single-digit games, games decided by single digits, four and four, and they led in all four of those games in the final minute. The Deeks, seven and two, and that includes three overtime wins. Last night it was a one-point game with five minutes to go or a two-point game. They closed it on a 16-0 run. It's crazy to think, Steve, but the only NCAA tournament experience I believe on this roster for Duke is Theo John and Joey Baker. That's those are the only two guys who ever played in the tournament. Wake's got three from the transfer portal, and Alondis Williams, Hadim C, and Dallas Walton. And we saw what it looked like on Monday, and th- this is why I think Coach K was so bummed out about what happened on Monday. And I asked him this question. You heard it. It was that this is what you're going to be facing in March. You're going to have an emotional win. You might win by a ton, but you got to flush it, and it's a one-day prep, and you're getting ready for a better team in your next game. In this case, I don't even know if Virginia was a lot better than North Carolina, but Duke certainly was not as good as they were against the Tar Heels. So are you with me on this, that Wake Forest, just because of experience and how they perform in closer games, might be more NCAA tournament ready than Duke is with about a month until the tournament? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a very good point, and and uh, as of today, I would agree with you. And uh, what you described, um, what Wake did like last night to State, those are things Duke normally does, right? They they get the stranglehold on a game. I mean, I've covered this program for twelve years now, and I've seen when usually they get a lead five minutes to go, they're not giving it up. It's very rare that they give it up, and uh, they've done it a few times this year. So until they prove that they're not going to do that anymore that they can consistently close out games, make good decisions with the ball, not have defensive lapses, uh, then those questions are going to be there. And I think Coach K knows it. I mean, he doesn't want to, you know, admit it or, 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 you know, downplay his team right now. But, I mean, he put a lot of energy into that game. You could see it. He knew they were facing the uh, uh, human nature uh, thing. You're fighting human nature. And he tried to will them to that win. He almost got him there, but he fell a little short. So, I'm sure he was disappointed with that. Yeah, and I think when Duke's coming off a loss, it doesn't matter who they play in the league. Duke's going to win the game, and they're probably going to win it by a ton. So I don't put as much stock in the fact that Wake Forest lost at home to Duke by double digits. It's just when when A.J. Griffin's on and when Duke's hitting threes, nobody's beating them when they're locked in and they're, as Jeff Lebo would tell me one time, crispy. When a team is crispy coming off a loss, <laughs> what they're going to look like. And that's why I expect... 
Say say all the prayers for little old Clemson tonight. I, I don't think it's going to go well for them. Uh, Steve Wiseman, I hope things go well for you tonight on the ride into Clemson and safe travels back as well. Same thing to Boston College on Saturday. See, you get the one-day preps too. You need to figure out how to get to these places, and I appreciate you That's squeezing right. us into your busy schedule. No problem, Josh. Glad to be with you. you got it. Follow him on Twitter, at Steve Wiseman NC, newsobserver.com. You can read his stuff. Nobody on the beat right now who travels with the team has covered the Blue Devils as long as Steve has.